0: I just wanted to start with some uh, statistics, some facts. A billion people, that's the number of people estimated to die as a result of tobacco-related diseases this century. So there's roughly 8 million people that die every year uh, because of smoking and smoking-related diseases. So that's a billion people. One in 10 of all deaths around the world can be attributed to smoking. That's one in every 10 deaths. So everyone knows that smoking is bad for our lungs, but smoking is also bad for nearly every part of your body. As well as damaging the lungs, it also damages the cardiovascular system, so the heart and your blood circulation system, uh, your digestive system, your brain, your skin, and nearly every part of your body. 7,000. There's more than 7,000 different chemicals that have been found in cigarette smoke. Two out of every three smokers, long-term smokers, will die early as a result of smoking. So these facts are pretty astounding. So everyone knows that smoking is bad for you. It's the single most preventable cause of death in the world. And despite all of these facts, smoking rates are still relatively high in some places in the world. We're doing pretty well in New Zealand. Smoking rates are around about 12.5% of adults in New Zealand. Um, but Māori, there's around about 30% of Māori adults are current smokers. Um, In the US, it's about 14% of adults smoke. In Europe, it's on average 30%. Uh, In China, 52% of males are current smokers, and some countries around the world have even higher smoking rates than this. So in New Zealand, the government is aiming for smoke-free Aotearoa 2025 So with this, the goal is to have a smoking rate of 5% or less by 2025. So there have been certain mechanisms brought in by the government to reach this target, um, but currently we're off track. Uh, One thing that's been proposed uh, recently to help with smoking cessation are e-cigarettes, so I'm going to be talking a bit about that tonight and the research we're doing in that field. But I just wanted to start, first of all, by introducing myself, and talking a bit more about what um, bioengineers do and what we do at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. I then want to just introduce um, the lungs very briefly to you, so discuss a bit of lung physiology. Um, and then I'll give one example of, of some of our other work um, that we do in the lung group at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. I'll then finish with the what's currently known about e-cigarettes and the work that we're doing in this field. So first of all, Um, I grew up in Auckland. Um, I studied um, a Bachelor of Engineering here at the University of Auckland uh, in Chemical and Materials Engineering. Uh, After working as that for a few months, I realised it wasn't for me, so I went back and did a PhD at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. And in this project, I developed a computational model of the pulmonary circulation, so uh, simulating how blood flows around the lungs. After that, I went to the University of Oxford for 10 years Um, and continued this sort of research in the Computational Science Department. Uh, When I found out I was pregnant with twins, I moved back to New Zealand. My twins are now six years old and I have an eight-year-old daughter as well. Um, And since then I've worked as a lecturer back at the university and now I'm a researcher at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. Uh, Recently I've taken over as chair of the network Women in Health Tech. So this is a network um, across New Zealand, still in its um, infancy really where we're trying to empower women and and increase diversity in the health tech field. Um, Last year, I also started a a business which is related to femtech, so this is Female Technologies for Women's Health, um, but that's a story for another night. So just to talk a bit about um, bioengineering, so engineers in general use um, maths, different sciences, especially physics, and design principles uh, to solve problems. So we try to understand how systems work um, and create new things. Um, Bioengineers apply these sorts of engineering principles to the human body and to understanding biology. So medicine, when you think about um, if you're sick, um, you might go and see your your clinician, your GP, and you tell them the symptoms that you have. They will then use their knowledge, um, what they've learnt, Um, and their experience to come up with a a method of treatment. So you might um, try something, that medication doesn't work, and they need to try something else. So actually quite a few medicines um, do not work on the whole population. Um, So medicine is at the moment sort of quite... um, Non-specific and non-precise. So the bigger picture of what we do in bioengineering is to try and improve healthcare by making it more personalized so that one day we can um, treat people more as an individual rather than treating them for the disease that they have. Knowledge doubles every 12 hours. So that's pretty amazing to think of the huge amounts of data that are being created. And this has been enabled by technology, so by computers, by the internet, um, by new devices, so things like, um, like this smartwatch, um, mobile devices that can link to your phones, that can measure things like your, how you, your heart is functioning. You can even get handheld ultrasound machines. So there's huge amounts of data um, coming out from these technologies. There's also data coming out from the different scales of your biology. So our bodies um, are, have our genetic code, our cells, our tissue, our different organs. And these things all work together with the environment and determine how our body actually works. So all of this data is existing and being generated and the real limitation is how we can bring all of this information together and understand what it means for the human body. So the bigger picture of what we do in bioengineering is to use computational methods to bring all of this data together and understand how the human body works, both in health and in different diseases. What we do at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute, one aspect is computational modelling. First of all, what's a model? A model is a simplified representation of reality, so there will always be uh, simplifications we need to make. But when you're modeling any sort of system, you first need to understand how that system works. So once we know how a system works, so for example, the lungs, we know that there's airflow, blood flow, gas exchange, we can then use uh, equations or mathematical models to describe how those systems work. We then take that mathematics and we can develop computer code that will solve those mathematical equations. We can then do simulations uh, so we can change things in our models. So for example, in, the, in a lung model, we could put in a blood clot and use our computer model to simulate how that impacts on how the lung is working. Some people are calling this uh, a digital twin, so that one day in the future we might have our own body, but we also have a computer version of ourselves that looks and behaves or functions in the same way our body does, so that we could use this for trying out different treatments on our own body. Um, so there are already some models that have been used clinically. So one example from the group I worked with at the University of Oxford, um, they've developed a heart model. This links right down to individual cells and to iron channels in those cells. And they are working with pharmaceutical companies to test new drugs so they can uh, um, include in their models the effect of some of these different drugs and use their model to simulate whether it's going to impact on the electrical activity of the heart the FDA in America, the Food and Drug Administration, are already accepting that computer models can be used in clinical studies, so this is ultimately to um, reduce the number of animals used and to reduce the number of humans that need to be tested on by bringing in computer models um, into the process. Um, At at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute, a good example is in um, breast modelling, so they're using these computer models uh, for patients with breast cancer, so they can align the different sorts of medical imaging that are used um, to improve the diagnosis and treatment of breast cancer. So at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute, we are developing computer models of lots of different parts of the human body. So we have models of the heart, the lungs, the gastrointestinal system, the musculoskeletal system, the placenta, um, and lots of other areas that I've probably forgotten. Another aspect of the work that we do is creating new devices. So we're creating devices that can measure the way that the body's working uh, and to improve in diagnosis and treatment of different diseases. So a couple of examples I can think of there. One is the needle-free injection. um, And another one in the lung field, we're developing a device that can measure how the lungs are working in patients uh, that are ventilated. So just to introduce you a little bit um, about how the lungs work, so you probably all know a little bit about them. So your lungs are housed within your chest cavity. When we breathe in, this is an active process, so we have our diaphragm, which is a big muscle. When we breathe in, our muscles contract, and they increase the volume of our lungs, and this draws air into our lungs. When we breathe out, this is a passive process, so we relax, and our muscles um, just relax and push that air back out. So within the lungs, we have these three tree-like systems. So they sort of look like upside-down trees. We've got the airways, the arteries, and the veins. In fact, they look a little bit like broccoli. So they start with uh, a larger airway, so our trachea, and then they go into smaller and smaller branches until we reach the alveoli, which are kind of like these little leaflets at the end. So those alveoli are where the gas exchange takes place, um, so they're like tiny little balloons, so as, as you can imagine, um, the same way as a balloon, we use our muscles to expand it, and then when we relax, the same way as a balloon, that air is pushed back out, and that's because the uh, lungs are very elastic. In a normal human lung, there's about 480 million alveoli, so if we were to lay those out flat, the surface area would be about 80 metres squared, which is about half the size of a tennis court. Around each of those alveoli is um, tiny little blood vessels called capillaries, so there's about 1,000 capillaries over each alveolus. And there's a really uh, thin membrane between the air and the blood, which is where the gas exchange takes place. So the main function of the lungs is to get oxygen into the blood and to release carbon dioxide. So the main things that go wrong in lung diseases are that we get a mismatch between that air and the blood. And a few of the common lung diseases you've probably heard of, asthma is one. And this is when people have overactive airways. So all of our large airways have muscle cells going around them. And people with asthma, um, they have overactive um, muscle cells, so when they breathe something in that they may be allergic to, those muscle cells can contract and they narrow the airway passages, making it hard to breathe. The main diseases from smoking, so one is lung cancer that you're probably all familiar with, but the other main disease from smoking, which is actually the third um, leading cause of death worldwide, is called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. So this consists of emphysema and chronic bronchitis. Emphysema is where we get um, a destruction of that alveolar tissue, um, so right down in those little air sacs. So we get a reduction in the gas exchange surface, but patients with emphysema also lose that uh, elasticity of their lungs and they, they find it very hard to breathe out. Um, so they may be able to breathe in, and then they can't breathe that air out, meaning that they have sort of older air um, with less oxygen in their lungs. So current tools to diagnose lung disease are fairly crude, so often if you have something wrong with your lungs, you may need to do a pulmonary function test, which is where you blow into a a tube. Um, And this gives a, a, um, a single measure of how well your lungs are functioning. So it's very good at being able to um, detect when there's something wrong with someone's lung, but the lungs, but there can actually be quite a lot of damage before this measurement will detect that lung disease. And it's also quite non-specific, So it might be difficult to know what disease that patient has or which part of the lungs are affected. So what we do in our lung research group is we bring together our computational um, methods. We bring that together with measurements, so measurements on cells or tissue. Um, we bring CT scans, which are high-resolution X-rays, and we bring together clinical measurements into those computer models so that we can um, help our understanding of how the lungs work, both in health and disease, and use these methods to improve diagnosis and treatments. So one example I wanted to talk about before I get onto e-cigarettes um, is a good example of showing how we can use all of these methods together um, onto a, on a clinical problem. So this example is about patients with lung cancer, and we're using our computer models um, to improve radiation therapy treatment planning for lung cancer patients. So radiation therapy is one treatment method for patients with lung cancer, and it basically applies very high energy radiation to kill the cancer cells. So it's very effective at killing the cancer, but it also damages healthy surrounding tissue around that tumour. So there's really a trade-off between removing the cancer and ensuring that there's not too much damage to that healthy tissue. So 90% of patients with lung cancer have a history of smoking, so they quite often have other lung damage, such as emphysema. Uh, At the moment when a radiation oncologist or the clinician is deciding whether to treat a lung cancer patient with radiation therapy in a curative way, it's really a a best guess. So they look at the the baseline health of that patient, they look at their lung function, um, any other diseases that they may have, and they really use their prior knowledge and experience to guess whether that patient should be treated. What we're trying to do is improve uh, that guess, so develop our computer models in the sort of way of a digital twin so that we can develop these models and apply that radiation therapy to the models and look at or predict what that patient's lung function will be after the treatment. We um, create patient-based models, we can take patient CT scans and so in this project we're working with a data set from the University College of London so we, can, we have data from 120 lung cancer patients, and we have their medical imaging, we have their CT scans and their pulmonary function tests before radiation therapy and after their radiation therapy. So what we're working on is creating these patient-based models um, to be able to simulate their function. So in the human lungs, there's five different lobes. So we've got two on the left and three on the right. So we can fit models that look like the patient's lungs, and we can solve our mathematical equations or our models um, and simulate things like how the tissue deforms during breathing and how that might change in um, emphysema. We use computational methods. So these are approximations based on data and real measurements from human lungs, and we can grow those airways. So in these models, there's around about 60,000 airways. Um, tubes, and we can solve our mathematical equations to simulate uh, the function. So in these it would be the airflow, in the blood vessels it would be the blood flow. Um, and for these patient-based models, we can, we can put that the patient's tumour in the um, accurate location, we can include any emphysema that that patient has, and we can simulate their lung function uh, before they have that radiation therapy. The idea is then that we can apply the radiation therapy based on that patient's uh, plan, we can apply that to the model and predict uh, how much lung function they will lose. So some patients actually have an improvement in lung function, and these are the ones that can definitely be treated curatively, uh, and some patients do have a loss in lung function, and part of this depends on where the tumour is, and how much emphysema they've got in their lungs. So <clears throat> now on to e-cigarettes, um, so the, the, it's commonly stated that e- the current version of e-cigarettes was invented in 2003 uh, by Hon Lick, who's a Chinese pharmacist, um, so he invented these as a smoking cessation aid, so his father died of lung cancer, he was a heavy smoker, and he himself was a, um, or was a heavy smoker, uh, and he invented the current version of e-cigarettes. But in fact, earlier versions of um, vapes or e-cigarettes were around from the 1960s. So tobacco companies had already started trying to create these products. So e-cigarettes work um, by... So there's lots of different types of e-cigarettes. This one's an open tank type e-cigarette. So these work by having um, an e-liquid. And there's a heating coil inside. So these are battery-operated when the battery is turned on. The coil, which is often made of metal or ceramic, heats up to very high temperatures, so around about 100 to 300 degrees, and it turns the liquid to a gas or an aerosol or a vapour that the user then inhales. So they're quite effective at mimicking smoking, so that you can still have that hand-to-mouth action. Um, And they create these big aerosol clouds that sort of uh, make you feel that they're still smoking uh, a cigarette. So they have shown some promise in smoking cessation studies, but they don't seem to be a sort of cure-all for smoking cessation. Some people in the clinical studies that have looked at using e-cigarettes for smoking cessation have had um, a similar rate um, with using things like nicotine replacement um, patches and gum. Um, Although some studies have shown that they are effective, and I think in the general population, a lot of people have found using e-cigarettes to be a good way to stop smoking. So before I t- tell you a bit more about e-cigarettes, I was going to start with a, a true-false quiz. So we're going to do thumbs up for true and thumbs down for false. So the first question is, most e-cigarettes only contain water and flavoring. Thumbs up for true, thumbs down for false. Oh, everyone's doing thumbs down, so false. So e-cigarettes are typically made using propylene glycol, uh, vegetable glycerin. Flavorings and nicotine. Uh, Number two, like tobacco smoke, the aerosol created using e-cigarettes can contain some dangerous chemicals. True or false? (laughs) True. Oh, you guys already know everything. True, so everyone says true, so that's right. Some of the chemicals can be dangerous, so I'll just go through a few of them. So at the moment, um, one review article has found that there is more than 15,000 different flavours of e-liquids on the market around the world. And each of those different flavours, as well as some of the same flavours across different brands, have different chemicals added to create those flavours. At the moment, there's no regulations to add um, any labelling of what flavours are added. Uh, but some flavourings have been found to cause um, harmful effects. Um, most of the chemicals added for flavouring have been, um, are generally regarded as safe for oral ingestion, but no one really has tested um, whether they're safe for inhalation. But The other thing that can happen is that when you heat the e-liquids up, um, you can get what's called thermal degradation, so some of those chemicals in the e-liquid can actually break down into different chemicals. One example is formaldehyde, so not all studies have shown this, but some studies have shown that at high temperatures of vaping um, and maybe with a a dry hit, you can get um, some formaldehyde or other dangerous chemicals created from that thermal degradation. Another thing that's been found, and in some of our work we've found, are heavy metals. We've found things like lead um, and nickel and copper um, inside the aerosols. Um, so also there's, they're very tiny particles, so this means that they go all the way down to that gas exchange surface and can quite easily go into your bloodstream. There's tobacco-specific nitrosamides and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. These are the two really dangerous chemicals found in cigarette smoke, and these have um, been found in e-cigarette aerosol, but at much lower levels. So typically people are finding around about 100 different chemicals in e-cigarette aerosols. So there definitely are less chemicals um, as compared to cigarette smoke. So number three. Um, okay, so this is a Juul e-cigarette. So these ones are called pod-type e-cigarettes. They're called um, a pod because they come with this little pod here that's typically filled uh, with e-liquid. So jewels are the really popular ones in the US, um, especially with younger people because they're a lot more discreet um, and they create a much smaller vapor cloud. So this question, number three, is a Juul pod can contain as much nicotine as a whole packet of cigarettes. True? Thumbs up? Or false? Thumbs down. True. Oh, we've got, I've got a thumbs down. Yeah. Oh, some people don't know, but most people um, are saying that's true. So it is true. So Juul are the ones that created the nicotine salts. So these are a different way of bonding nicotine in the e-liquid. Um, and they um, can make very high-concentration nicotine solutions. So you can get these nicotine-salt products um, very widely now. Um, Number four, teens who vape are more likely to start smoking cigarettes. True, thumbs up, or false? So we've got a mix there. Uh, A lot of people saying true. And actually, I'm sort of on the fence now, but what I will say is that there is evidence that that teens that start using e-cigarettes are more likely to go on to using cigarettes. So this sort of um, data has been collected in, in the US. I think it's unknown in many other parts of the world because they haven't been around long enough. Some of the advocates say that the only reason some a younger person will change from using an e-cigarette to smoking real cigarettes is if they can no longer access their e-cigarettes. But it is known that... Um, The younger you are when you start using nicotine, you're more likely to become addicted. So the adolescent or younger brains are still developing. So when they're exposed to nicotine at an earlier age, um, the the synapses um, change and their um, brains are more likely to become addicted to nicotine. Um, And then they they find it a lot harder to to give up. So the final one, although you've got nearly all of these right, Um, as long as an e-cigarette doesn't contain nicotine, it's completely safe. True? Oh, pulse. <laughs> Everyone's saying thumbs down. Okay, great. So either I've taught you something or everybody already knew everything. What I will say is that nobody yet knows the long-term health effects of vaping. Only time will be able to tell what the long-term health effects are on humans. And the only way at the moment that we can test um, their effects is by doing cell experiments, so exposing cells to the aerosol. Uh, by doing animal studies, um, or short-term studies in humans, or we can start collecting that data for long-term studies in humans. So what we know so far, in terms of cardiac effects, um, nicotine does increase heart rate um, and blood pressure. So there is some evidence that that's one mechanism for, if it's used chronically over many years, that you can get a stiffening of blood vessels and an increase in cardiovascular disease. So some studies are showing that that's uh, similar to um, what's found in cigarette smoking. Um, animal studies, in terms of the lungs, have shown changes in the distribution of airflow and blood flow, um, similar to what might happen in a very early smoker's lung. A lot of studies have shown inflammation. So inflammation is the body's normal response to a foreign body, and that and it's very effective if something happens acutely. So it's designed to help our bodies stay healthy and safe, but if there's chronic inflammation, if your body's exposed to that many times a day over many, many years, that's when things can go wrong. So there is already some evidence of inflammation. One animal study has shown increased rates of cancer, um, and uh, one or two have shown similar changes um, that are formed in emphysema. But as I said, at the moment, the current understanding is that they are safer than cigarettes, um, and nobody yet knows the long-term health effects, so nobody can actually say how safe they are. So the question was, what's my view on vaping cannabis? That was what happened at the, the US, where they had that EVALI, which is um, e-cigarette or vaping-associated lung injury, um, and I think potentially cannabis in that situation was not the problem. It was when um, people were adding this other additive, so the vitamin E acetate, um, and that was often in the bootleg products, and that was what caused the lung disease. Um, I think one one issue with, with that using THC or adding other things into e-liquids is that there really needs to be tighter regulations in terms of what can be added. So the cases in the US were because this other chemical was added, nobody really thought or knew what the harmful effects would be, were or would be until it actually happened. So I think there needs to be tighter control on, on what can be added. So finally, I'm on to what we're going to be doing in our work. So we have a three-year research project. So this is funded by um, uh, Royal Society of New Zealand Marsden Grant. And we're only six weeks into this project. So um, I can tell you what our plan is, um, but we haven't got many results uh, as yet. What we're planning on doing is using the methods that I've talked to you about today. So using our computational methods and our experimental methods um, to try and understand the health effects of vaping on the lungs. And we're going to do this by um, doing some chemical analysis. So we have created a vaping robot. Um, so we can attach an e-cigarette, we have a vacuum pump, and we can um, create those aerosols. We can then collect those and do, c- perform chemical analysis. So look at some of the different flavoring chemicals that are added, look for those degradation products, uh, see if there's um, metals in those aerosols. We'll also be measuring the particle sizes in the aerosol, and we'll be using that in our computer models to simulate where the aerosol goes in people's lungs. We will also be exposing cells to the e-cigarette aerosol so we can grow lung cells in the lab and expose them to the aerosol and then measure any changes that happen to them. Um, we'll also be doing MRI or magnetic resonance imaging. So, we are looking for healthy volunteers. So, if anyone here is a current vapor or knows someone um, who wants to have an MRI of their lungs um, and their pulmonary function me- measured, yeah. Um, so, we're looking for healthy volunteers. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a picture of their lungs and measure their um, regional airflow and blood flow and the tissue density before and immediately after they use their e-cigarette. So we're going to look at um, really the acute changes that are happening. Um, And then from those participants, we're going to make computer models of their lungs, and we're going to put all of that together. So we're going to represent the cell changes, um, simulate where those particles go, and look at how that changes the lung function and go from there. So just to summarise what I've talked about today, so um, bioengineers, we apply engineering principles to understand um, how the body works and Im- improve health care. And I think in terms of e-cigarettes, uh, my main message is that at the moment, nobody knows that long ho- long-term health effects. Um, so study, early studies are showing that they are not going to be without harm. Uh, but the current knowledge is that they are most likely safer than cigarettes. So my message would be, if you're a smoker, it's probably safer to switch to e-cigarettes. But if you're not a smoker, it's not a good idea to start vaping. Thank you. So you were saying that there's different um, flavourings and different uh, coils, etc., cetera, um, and they could have different health effects. Have you looked into any of those yet, and do you know any of the brands or types of coils, types of flavourings that are better and not better? So the simple answer to that is that we haven't tested any of that yet, but that is definitely something that we want to do. So we plan to use different coils and different flavourings. The other thing that I didn't mention that we want to look at is um, what they call vaping topography. So how someone uses their device, how deeply they inhale, or how frequently. So we want to test um, those impacts as well. And uh, and I also forgot to say that really why I got into this was to see how we could make vaping safer, so I do hope that there is still a, a place for e-cigarettes um, and I and I'm hoping that with our research we can find safer ways to use them with New Zealand's trying to do smoke free 2025 do you think vaping is going to hinder the idea of a smoke-free New Zealand that's a tricky one and I won't say that vaping is safer than smoking I think my message is that nobody knows that yet so I think yeah there is some caution with that really being promoted I um, <coughs> As a smoking cessation aid, but I do, as I said, I think there is a role for it. But I, I've, you know, I, I would hope that it can be more encouraged for for smokers to use to stop smoking, rather than for it to be so freely available for everyone to use. So I do, I do hope that it will help with the smoke-free Aotearoa. My teenagers were smoking flavoured, sort of bubblegum flavoured vapes, and saying, "Mom, they're fine. They're not going to do me any harm." And I'm saying, "Well, just make sure there's no nicotine in them." But you're saying that they are just as bad, the flavoured nicotine-free, or it's just the nicotine is the issue? So, actually, that's an interesting question. I watched a documentary last night called um, You Don't Know Nicotine, I think it is, and um, yeah, it was quite a controversial one, but I think, um, and I'm unclear of the evidence, but I think nicotine is not... The, the most dangerous thing in there. So I would say even if it's nicotine free, um, there is dangers coming from those, those flavors potentially and from some of the, the heating process and those chemicals. And again, the fact that nobody has um, a lot of the flavorings, nobody's tested what happens if you use them for 20 years, uh, inhale them into your lung. I think the message is anything that's not clean air going into your, your lungs is probably going to have some effect. So further on from that, if they're nicotine-free, they're still inhaling VG and PG, aren't they? Yes. And they're both really sticky oils and no one knows what the effect of those in our lungs are because they're safe to eat because they're in our food products, but we're inhaling them in our lungs. Yes, exactly. So nobody knows the safety even of of those compounds that are made to create the liquids, so propylene glycol and glycerol so they're the ones used in those sort of smoke machines Um, and yeah but nobody's done long-term studies of inhalation of them so I would be cautious of my children using them but they do smell nice my children have walked past people vaping and said how yummy. Um, Have there been any studies on second-hand vaping? Uh, they have uh, some studies have started to look at secondhand vaping, and again, um, nobody knows the long-term effects. But they have found, I think, that there are lower concentrations of of those aerosols, um, so possibly could have harmful effects. And what I say, actually, my my husband uses an e-cigarette. But one thing I'm worried about, you know, the lead in the aerosol. I mean, it's small smallish amounts, although it's higher than the um, what it should be in drinking water. But I think that sort of compound wood could deposit on surfaces, you know, and if you touch it, well the fact that we got rid of lead out of paints and that sort of thing kind of indicates that it's not ideal. So the um, vaping shops, are they mainly owned by the cigarette companies? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the proportion is, but there's definitely a lot of um, big tobacco getting into the vaping industry. There are also a lot of small, um, smaller local shops, but yeah, I'm not sure the proportion of them. What's your thoughts on the current Ministry of Health's um, pretty big campaign on bus stops and stuff about vaping being, the message seems to be pretty clear that vaping is preferable to cigarettes? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am not sure how I feel about that, to be honest. It's, it's um, a scary call to be making, but I think compared to smoking, probably uh, you know nearly any, everything is safer than smoking. But, but again, I, yeah, I'm, I would be cautious at that sending a message that it is safe, p- possibly for non-smokers, which it isn't. You were mentioning earlier that uh, under heat, certain compounds can break down into other compounds. I read some of those studies, and some of them seemed to, they, the heat they were using was much higher than any, like, handheld vape you can get, um, can actually produce. I'm just wondering whether, if there was any newer studies that showed that, uh, like, uh, one of our vapes with, with a lower level of heat can still produce those elements? Yeah, so my understanding for the studies uh, like with formaldehyde is that one example. So those studies I think were used at very high temperatures. So other studies have shown that there isn't those um some of those dangerous chemicals. But again I think at the moment the research is um a lot of research is showing one thing and other research is showing another thing. And the problem with that is because there's so many different e liquids and devices out there that it's very difficult to tell. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of imp- almost impossible to know what an individual is, is inhaling because it's going to be so different because there could be interactions from the different other different chemicals in there that could sort of combine and form other chem- chemicals, and that's um, not well known. But I agree that there needs to be that sort of information that possibly don't use those high temperatures. You know, I, I feel like there needs to be that sort of education out there so that people, if people are using them, we can have some guidelines on how to hopefully reduce those things like formaldehyde. With the drug use, like any, any kind of drug, not just like cigarettes or anything, sometimes comes uh, drug abuse uh, or substance abuse. Uh, so is that the case for e-cigarettes as well? Any reports, any studies regarding that? That anything like with extensive usage of this uh, device mm. will occur or not? Yeah, so actually that is something that has sort of um, been in the literature, so with a cigarette, um, you know, often now you have to go outside and you might only have one cigarette every, I don't know, a couple of hours, but with an e-cigarette, especially when you could use them anywhere, there was cases that people were using them all the time, because it's not like it's a single, like a cigarette, you know, you can just use it as much as you want, so that is definitely something that that could create um, worse health effects there's another uh, Netflix documentary actually that looks at teens in the US and you see a lot of them apparently have that have them down their sleeve, these um, vapes, and they use them in class and they can actually be very discreet, so especially the, the dual pod type e-cigarettes don't actually create very much um, aerosol. I've got a question about um, vapes as a way of stopping smoking and the available nicotine levels. So some of those pod ones, for example, the lowest step of nicotine you can get is, I think it's four milligrams per something rather four percent, um, dual ones don't go below eight percent, are you going to be studying anything in relation to addictions, with with nicotine addiction? No, not not personally looking at addiction, but I agree that if, you know to to sort of there should be a, a plan to stop eventually stop using an e-cigarette. So ideally, if someone's using it to stop smoking, they would start with a certain nicotine strength and then drop down to a lower strength. I agree. So I think. Um, yeah, the, the nicotine salt, so if if that's what you were talking about with the 8 milligrams, so that is, it does interact slightly differently with your body, so that actually might be a slightly lower equivalent. But I've seen the nicotine salt ones up to about 60 milligrams, um, or even higher I think you can get. So those ones are possibly even higher nicotine than, than a cigarette. Um, but the lower ones, yeah, ideally you, get, you step down and then have nicotine-free, um, or no, stop completely, yeah. Sorry, it's not a question. Just to inform everyone that the smoke-free action plan for 2025 is out on the Ministry of Health website. I would definitely recommend people to put in submissions because this is about the whole of New Zealand and this is where you get to have your voice and your say. Thank you.